Well, dear sisters and brothers in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Well, last sermon, right? Just want it to be over, don't you? Come on. Well, I need for you to think about several groups as we enter into this sermon. I want you to think about the disciples who were sitting around Jesus listening to this. I need you to think about the crowd that was there. But then I also want, you know, I want you to think about Matthew's community that are hearing this gospel, this, this story, for the first time after he has written it. So if you kind of keep those in your head, we're going to touch back on them as we move through the sermon. I think I've been to the place where this sermon took, took part. I've made my son, who was with me on my first journey there, to go down about 100 yards and to read this gospel. And it's this beautiful, beautiful mountainside. It is a natural amphitheater. I could hear him without him shouting just as clearly as you can hear me right now. It is an amazing spot. We know that Jesus is perceiving himself to be a senior rabbi because he sits down, and only senior rabbis got to sit down when they were preaching. So even this 30-year-old young rabbi has something to say, and he knows it's important. I've always wanted to be brave enough to make you do what Jesus is doing because they all had to stand up for the sermon, and he got to sit down but I've, so far I haven't done that yet. But he invites not just the disciples, but I do believe the crowd is there, and then he enters into this sermon. Now Matthew, in his telling you about Jesus, wants you to understand a couple of things about him. First and foremost, his perception of Christ is that he is the new Moses. He's the new improved Moses. And Moses has five teachings. There's the first five books of the Old Testament attributed to Moses. And so there are five teachings in the Gospel of Matthew. You will hear, if you read this all the way to the end in the sixth chapter, now the, now the teaching, the sermon is done before we get to the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth. Jesus is the teacher. He is the rabbi. We have the whole pieces of Jesus and Mary and Joseph needing to go to Egypt, and of course Moses leaving Egypt and then having to return. So Matthew wants you to understand, here is this new teacher, this, this one who has something to say. But then he enters into the sermon, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who thirst and hunger for righteousness. We have in the beginning a group of people that no one wants to be in that group. I had some help this week from Brian Stoffergen. He's a pastor on the West Coast, but he does a lovely work of Greek on the text for Sunday. And so delving around in some of his new work, he, he talks about the fact that no one wants to be in this group. Nobody. Because it was a group that was alive and well in the time of Matthew, for sure. And there's beginnings of that group, certainly in the time of Jesus. These are the people that are desolate. They have no hope, no hope, that the world is going to give them what they need. 
what happens after 70 AD, after the Romans have put down the revolt that starts in 66, after they have killed almost all the priests, destroyed the temple which will never be rebuilt even yet today. There is the first dispersion of Jews out of Israel. They're not all forced to leave, but many are forced to leave. They, they can't be on their land. They are bereft of family and community. They are set out into the world with no safety net. And we understand that some of that group is in Matthew's community. So when he writes these words that Jesus spoke on that mountainside, here is the group that he's speaking about. To be poor in spirit meant that I've got no hope in the world. There is nothing about the world that is going to make my life better. To mourn meant that you had lost your land. It isn't just that your family had died. You had lost your ability to be a family, to feed them, because now you were cut off. No one wanted to be in that group. I suspect there were folks even on that hillside listening to Jesus that were in that group. They were the desolate ones. And then Jesus moves to the second group. Those who have heard, those who have heard the good news that he is bringing, that they understand that their sins are forgiven, that there is life in Jesus Christ that is different from other rabbis that in being in his community, there is life and life abundantly. And then this invitation to step into the world to help bring God's kingdom forward. Because what we hear in the first group is the only hope they have is that God might finally act, that God's kingdom might come near. And so here is the second group that Jesus is talking about those who are the peacemakers, those who bring mercy, those who are persistent and committed to the work. Here is this community that has been invited into a future where they're a part of bringing that good news of Jesus Christ in very real, tangible ways to the world. But now I think about the disciples. They're certainly, as they're sitting there, they're not a part of that first group. We knew that all the disciples at least had jobs before, before they had been invited to come and follow Jesus. So we're not in that desolate group. We're not that. And we're certainly not in that second group for sure. Because why? Well, because we just follow Jesus. That's what we do. We don't need to do any of that hard work. Because all we do is, well, we just follow the rabbi. And then I suspect, because I appreciate his ability to preach and teach, that he had just this wonderful pause. And then Jesus turns to his disciples. And now it doesn't become about those people anymore. Now it becomes about them. Because how does he conclude this teaching? Blessed are you. Blessed are you. When people revile you and curse you for my name's sake. Blessed are you when you are persecuted like the prophets of old as you work to bring in the kingdom. The part that I now deeply appreciate where I'm at in my world and in my life 
is how hard it is to be the community of faith over time. That I'm not so much concerned anymore about what church will look like a month from now or even a year from now. I'm far more concerned about what this Christian community that is centered on Jesus Christ will look like in 20 years or 30 years. After I'm long gone, will there be a community that is centered in Jesus Christ, him crucified, raised from the dead? It is hard work to get that done. I am so profoundly grateful for the men and women who have gone before me to make, make a community that is centered in Jesus Christ, who made sacrifice, who poured themselves into a life of faith in bringing the kingdom forward so that there was a place for David to hear and to receive and to be taught and to be sheltered and to raise in the faith. I give thanks for the men and women that are in this room that have made sacrifice to bring that about for First Lutheran Church. Every day, almost every day, part of that first group shows up on your doorsteps. They walk in the front door almost every day. How do we greet them? We house church on the street. We have a ministry through them and with them. But there is still that encounter with those who are hoping that the kingdom might come near, near them because they, I suspect, have given up on the world providing any what they need. You are a church that is downtown. You are centered between fabulous wealth on one side and extreme poverty on the other. You are at the center, really, of what it means to live in South Dakota. This is the juxtaposition, so to speak, between those who have and those who have not. And you are a community with resources and gifts aplenty. But how are they utilized and how are they engaged in the work of bringing the kingdom near? That will be for this next chapter, right? It has been a part of the life of First Lutheran Church for decades. You are historic in your participation with LSS, with other downtown ministries. You have had a leadership role you have been people, you have been people who have been merciful, who have been peacemakers. But you also know what it's like then to be persecuted for Jesus' sake. So as we conclude our time together, as I've told you more than once, you are the people of God. You are the people of God. You are the only ones, your hands, your feet, your mouth, your lips. You are the instruments through which Jesus will bring the kingdom forward. It is through you and with you and in you, as you are the people of God, to bring the kingdom near to those who stand in need. Because, because you have heard the good news that is in Jesus Christ. His gift to you is a life in him. Amen.